Right, we are in First Corinthians chapter 11, and uh, we reminded ourselves uh, as we started this that the overall context is how the church conducts itself when it comes together, and that helps us understand a little bit about what's going on here. Uh, universally, the commentators would agree that this is dealing with uh, the church service in particular. A bearing of that might be that they when a woman prays or prophesies that um, uh, it's referring to any activity that she would be doing that is normally a man's uh, position, which would be true, especially in the church. And that we know for a while that women did have the gift of prophecy, um, but that still would uh, be in a church setting, and we'll deal a little bit more with that as we continue forward. But you just want to keep that in mind as a dealing. In many cases, we'll see here, not with life in general, but what's going on in the church. And certainly the head covering is that something that is, it, it's usefulness is in the church. That's kind of the whole point. But, uh, last time, as we started the chapter, we saw God's nature is one of organization, headship, and commission, and relationship. So it's no surprise that He has created a universe that is organized. He has made the different spheres to have organization, to have order, to have leaders, to have those who follow, and so forth. And of course, that helps set up uh, what we're looking here because uh, headship submission, head covering, and not being have, have a head covering uh, have to do with roles in the church. And that's really the, the point. And while these symbols are important, we'll deal with that. We don't want to lose focus. The symbols are not more important than what they represent, and that is that we have roles to play. A man has a role to play, a woman has a role to play, and that holds true in the home, but also in the church. And so that's certainly what you want, we always want to be focusing on. We have different roles to play. And in the home and in the church, men take the lead, and women submit to their leadership primarily in the home and in the church. Uh, those are the two things we dealt a little bit with that. Uh, that I don't think the Bible really speaks to society at large. Those are ish, other issues that we deal with, but I don't think we can use the Bible to prove that women can't be bosses or political leaders. That, that's just another subject. We saw that Christ is the head of all men, a husband is the head of his wife, and the head of Christ is the father. That's kind of the, the, the thing that Paul uses to springboard into the roles of the church. So we have Father, and then the Son under Him, and under Him, and the woman under Him. Now I was reading, I was reminded of a point that I made a couple of weeks ago, and that is that uh, the ESV continues to use wife throughout this passage. I, I don't, other translations do not, and I think that perhaps they're better. While wife to be used early on in verse 3 is maybe good, uh, I think it causes confusion after that because you've got to remember that this isn't just about wives in the church. It's about women in the church. It's the wives are the only ones who submit to the uh, men, right? It is uh, all women uh, in the church. And so DSV uses wife, and while that applies to wives, uh, don't think that that's all that it means to. So I'm not sure that that is helpful, but of course a lot of that depends on how one reads the text. So from the beginning, 
God has separated and made distinctions and roles for his creation and creatures. And we see this in the first chapter of Genesis, as well as other places. One place this is very carefully uh, taught is the Mosaic Law, for instance. Uh, Deuteronomy uh, 22, a woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak. For whatever does these things, whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. And I think that to some degree, what Paul is doing is reminding us of this. Not that we say, well, we're not under the Mosaic Law. Well, right, but there's principles there in the law that clearly uh, we are to follow. And I think that's an obvious one. And Paul it makes it clear in this passage anyway. There's different roles. And of course, part of the problem is with uh, men with long hair, women with short hair, men who cover their heads in services, women who don't, is that you, you begin to confuse the roles. And, and so that's the issue. Men doing what men are supposed to do. Women doing what women are supposed to do. And again, where you want to come down on the head curving is one thing, not unimportant, but it is one thing. But if you don't grasp this, if you can't see the importance of this with what we see going on in our society today, then I've got nothing for you. And uh, it, that's why it's so incredibly important. God made men to, to be men, to act like men, and women to be and act like women. He gave them separate roles and said that it's an abomination to even appear like the opposite sex. Now, when you talk about this subject, you've always got someone who says, well, what does that mean? You know, what, what, uh, you know, clothes are men, what clothes are women, how long is long, how short is short. And I'm going to deal a little bit more with that next week. But what we're going to see here is that Paul says that nature knows you. That this isn't all that complicated. You know, in a sense, where you cross the line. It doesn't mean that, yes, there's some things that you're not really sure about. But let's not uh, get ourselves to miss the uh, forest for the trees, right? That kind of thing. It, it, this isn't difficult. And if we listen to what is being Paul is saying here, I don't think it's all that difficult for us to see some of these things. <clears throat> Our culture is vehemently opposed to what this passage teaches. <clears throat> Even again, if you don't necessarily come down on the side of wearing head coverings, uh, the, the culture, uh, you know, but because the culture hates these things, no matter what your stance is, uh, you to, to let the culture and others of what they think about you uh, affect how you study the Bible and how you obey the Bible. Uh, cannot be. In other words, however you want to look at this, you, we do not approach any passage in Scripture and say, okay, I see what it says, but uh, this is going to uh, embarrass me. This is going to make us look different. That, that's got nothing to do with anything. It, what, what the Bible says is what the Bible says. And so I hope that there are no one here who would ever think like that, even though we understand clearly that sometimes being a Christian brings the score of the world. But Jesus told us to rejoice in it. So regardless of one's stances on this subject, the issue is not, in one sense, primarily head covering, as if that is all Paul is concerned about. And, and I understand that. That's why 
said, I am not trying to state as the pastor of this church any position. I'm not going to make it very clear what my position is, but my point is let's see what the symbols are concerned with as well. It is knowing and practicing your role in the church and the home that I am concerned with. Head coverings, both spiritual and natural, as we'll see here, Paul uh, talked about the natural head covering of the long hair, are symbols of one's role. The goal is that not wearing head coverings uh, per se, although Paul sees this, these signs as important, it is our attitude uh, that is that is important, that we have the right attitude in our roles, that we don't shirk it, that we accept it, and that's what we certainly uh, are concerned about. So if you think that wearing the symbol is all that is necessary, if we kind of look at it the other way, and if you think that, well, I'm wearing the symbol, therefore I'm submissive, uh, you know, and I'm doing my role, uh, maybe a man would say, I have my hair short, I don't cover my hair in church, so I'm doing okay. Well, no, you kind of missed the point as well, because if your heart doesn't reflect that symbol, that's what we call hypocrisy. So it's always... Is, is everything we do, the law of God always is concerned first with the heart, because if the heart's wrong, anything else we do, of course, is useless and dishonors the Lord. So there are churches, we know, that do practice the, uh, the head covering, churches that don't, women who do, women who don't, and whether a church makes the sign an issue or not is something that we can debate over. But what we will make an issue in this church, at least at this point, is whether we are practicing what they symbolize, right? That, if we're not doing that, it hardly matters what we do beyond that. And notice that Paul speaks about two separate coverings in this passage, one for the church and one for nature, that is long hair. So there are those who say, well, long hair is good enough. And I said, well, okay, fine, but don't, that doesn't mean that Paul's not speaking about two different coverings. It's two different words and two different things. The, the, the covering and the, they come out in the church is one that uh, literally hangs down. The actual covering in hair is a different thing. So they both represent and teach the same thing, but they're two separate ones. One is for, uh, in nature, as a woman and one in a woman's role in the church. And we also, as we try to do as we go through these things, never forget that this applies equally in all these things to the man. We are, about Paul says, we do not cover our heads in the church, and a man is to have short hair when compared to a woman. If there is a proper look for a man, there is a proper look for a woman. And the problem is when people don't care and think that it's okay to blend that and to, to uh, not, uh, for, for a woman, I'll give you, I guess, one instance, for a woman, and there's plenty of this going around today, who almost uh, scorn the idea of looking feminine, of looking like a woman, of acting like a woman, of talking like a woman, and men who don't want to appear masculine. Of course, you got the feminists over there talking about toxic masculinity, and any man who tries to act like a man in, in any kind of good way, uh, is immediately scorned. Well, I guess I'll say it. I, I, I always talk about this with Michael Jackson. Was 
if nothing irritates me more than men who just stay right where they are. That is. And I'm not, I, I like tenors. I don't, I don't have a problem with a man singing high. That's not the issue. But it's, it's a feminine, feminization of manhood. And sometimes a masculization of feminine, of womanhood. And that's, I think, part of the problem here, the things that Paul is addressing. So again, maybe there, uh, some of that's more of my opinion, but I think at least there's maybe some application there. Then there is the issue that some have raised that this is something that only was concerning the Corinthian church. It was just one of the big uh, differences of opinion when it comes to this. That this Paul is talking about uh, something the church in Corinth had to deal with, some uh, cultural thing in Corinth, and that this doesn't apply to us. I always worry when uh, we are approaching scripture and we're using a certain hermeneutic to read a epistle, and we come to uh, a section here, and we just say, okay, now that, we're not going to interpret it anymore, any longer like we've been interpreting we're going to interpret it in a completely different way. That scares me, and I, I don't like that, and I don't, and I don't find that a very valid argument. Uh, in other words, if you read this, as, as Jeff read it a little while ago, if you read this, it's not difficult to know what he's saying. You can argue about it, you can debate it, but uh, it's pretty obvious what Paul is saying about women wearing head coverings in church, right? So, again, that's just there. And uh, to nobody knows, first of all, there are many different cultures in Corinth. Nobody knows, uh, you know, about what the kind of culture is. They say that, but, they, but you, you won't find any examples of that because it's really very difficult. And Paul when you get down to verse 17, or verse 16, it says if anyone is inclined to be contentious, if anybody uh, doesn't want to uh, follow these guidelines, we have no such practice in church. That is not an option. In other words, Paul doesn't say uh, that this is a Corinthian problem, which would make one wonder why it's there to begin with. Uh, he, he said, no, this applies to all the churches. So I'd, I've never been able to deal or to find that uh, argument that this is something that only applies to the Corinthian church, uh, particularly convincing. John MacArthur, who takes this position, by the way, states that Paul has to be referring to a local custom, but he offers no proof of what that is. And so why does he assume this? And that's always been my problem with that. He then says that in the ancient world, a large head, uh, head coverings or veils were the usual symbol of women's and especially a wife's submission to her husband. He also states that historically, dress and hair length have always been some of the most clear distinctions in all cultures. And so my question is, well, which is it? I mean, if he admits that it's, more, it's been a very universal thing, both long hair and head coverings, throughout the world and throughout all cultures, primarily, which I think is true. And then, but, but he says this is a Corinthian problem. So, again, I, I don't find that convincing. Uh, these commentators say that since in Corinth people used a veil as a symbol of authority and no covering as a symbol of headship, then they had better keep the custom, and therefore it doesn't matter what we do today, 
but the Corinthians had to do that. Again, why is this here? And why does Paul use a universal uh, example with long hair? Right? If the, if the head covering is just a Corinthian problem, why bring a universal head covering of long hair into the mix? It just seems like he's, it, it goes against what they're saying. So again, these are some of the things that I have to deal with in trying to understand uh, how to uh, what Paul is saying here in our text and interpret it. And so if you're going to step out of your role, clearly the first thing to go will be the symbols. As I said last week, uh, we saw this in, in the case universally as MacArthur and others. But you know, when I read the old commentators, it's interesting. They don't even, it's not even an issue. Talk about women wearing head coverings in church because everybody did it. And uh, now all of a sudden you get you know, the women's movement comes along. And uh, with that, not only do they start to throw off head coverings in the church, but what happens in uh, about the 20s, the new uh, haircut style of bobbing that the women started doing, uh, which, again, you can't just ignore that. You, you know, we I guess debate it, but it means something. <clears throat> and so these are some of the things that we have to deal with. Um, also, to prove and to illustrate his point, as I, and I've already said this, he, he turns to the symbol God gave us from the beginning, which is men are to have short hair or uncovered heads, and women are to have long hair or covered heads to show the same type of order, not necessarily in the church, but outside the church. And, and so my, my position would be that the head covers for the church service, or spiritual activities, as it were, whereas once you're outside the church, then uh, the long hair is the covering. That's what that's what symbolizes you as a woman and your understanding of your role before the man and the man. Men have shorter hair. They wear not only their hair differently, but of course, uh, to some degree, their clothing and everything else, because there's a difference. We're men, and we're not women. We're we're women. We're not men. So forth. I think that's kind of what's going on here to some degree. But those clearly, as he moves into these things, and we'll deal with the hair and all that uh, next week more so. He's basically saying <clears throat> that these are this is a universal, and so it applies to everyone, not just in Corinth. He is saying that they teach the same thing and have the same purpose. And I think, again, as we read these, you, you can't at least get away from that, where in verse 6, for if a wife, and let's read it, or if a woman will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. So this referring to the head covering. So he equates those two things. And again, we can debate that. I have questions about it, talk about it, but it's clear what Paul is saying there. And all theologians, regardless of their position, that, that I'm aware of realize that there are two coverings being spoken of here, the hair and the head covering as well. So the position that the hair is in view throughout the passage is almost universally understood to be incorrect from what I understand, those I've read and listened to and so forth. Nobody, no, I don't think any serious theologian tries to say that the, head, that the hair is what Paul was talking about here that's always concerned about. And so the two issues are, should a woman wear a 
covering in church and why and that women are to have obviously longer hair than men because God has established gender roles that are to be carefully observed. And when we blur those distinctions, we start to break down the order that God has established and the order that we that Paul made very clear in the first three verses that we looked at, right? And we're seeing the effects of that today. In fact, the importance of this passage, I think, has been illustrated now for a good hundred years or more. It's not to say that there weren't issues throughout church history, but to, when you clearly throw off, not just physically, but <clears throat> spiritually, the rule of God and deny God, uh, then you uh, are going to run into you're going to run into issue, and so that is why this is an important passage. In a sense, it is all about God's ordained order in society and in church and family, and maintaining this clear and constant reminder for us. I see this then as to be covered or not with a veil or a hat or whatever, being a reminder in spiritual activities and gatherings, and the hair as being longer than the man's as a reminder outside the church. Again, I've kind of already alluded to that. And so the first thing he says is that at these times, a man is not to have his head covered because it dishonors his position, his head, that it's Christ. He has a measure of authority, and so if he covers his head, he is uh, uh, broadcasting a, a, a uh, position of submission, but he's supposed to be the head. Just as if the woman does not have a head covering, she's broadcast an idea that I am not in submission. And so Paul deals, as he often does, with the man first. <clears throat> the underlying assumption of the apostle in our text is that a head covering is a required symbol of a woman's submission to the headship of male leadership. Since the man is to symbolize the headship of Christ, he is not to have his head covered when he prays or prophesies, as we see in verse 4. Paul writes that if a man were to pray or prophesy with his head covered, he would symbolically deny Christ's headship over men, which the man is to reflect in his spiritual acts of worship, uh, the man is, in a sense, acting out the headship of Christ as he leads. And a woman is acting out submission, not just to the man or to her husband, but our submission to Christ, uh, because we are just, he is our head. And so in verse 4, Paul writes that if a man were to pray or prophesy with his head covered, he would symbolically deny Christ's headship over man. Thus, to pray or prophesy, with a covered head, again, if a man does this, is to bring shame upon Christ, his head. And it's interesting, is it not, that that particular tradition, biblical tradition, still pretty much is universal, although there are those who kind of play like with that as well. But if I stood up here with a hat on my head, what would you think? Yeah, you know it's not right. You see, so again, we've got to, we want to treat both of these things equally. 
The woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered does not distinguish herself as a woman, but is acting as the man would in the church. Again, all women are submissive to all men, but in the church, men are to be the leaders, and in particular the teachers, and women are not. She thereby symbolically claims headship in her activities, dishonoring her head, uh, which is the man who has authority over her. And we see, as I said, men failing here uh, often. I, I, you know, you watch videos of, of church services. And you see these guys get up with beanies on their head and conducting worshiping services. <coughs> and you know, I don't, I know it's a style. You know, for young guys to wear beanies all the time. You know, it's a style. But who is uh, directing how I live? how I live and what I wear in church or anywhere else. In other words, the culture does not determine what goes on in this building. And in another sense, the culture, uh, to a lesser degree, cannot determine what goes on in your home and in your life. So again, it's not, not everything about the culture around us is bad. But you understand what I'm saying, I think, I hope. So a couple of things uh, to think about here. Is it not interesting that the custom of men not wearing hats in church or while praying remains while the custom of women doing uh, having being covered is abandoned? Um, and I think it is because of this passage that I would say it is both inappropriate for me to do so and likewise for women. And unless we are prepared to say that it doesn't matter if men wear hats or not, we, we cannot say the same thing about women. Or it is being in, it's being inconsistent, right? It, it, well, all this applies only to men and not to women. You know, I think we all understand there's a problem with that. <coughs> Secondly, when he addresses the women's covering, he says that for her not to wear it expresses the same disgrace as if she cuts off her hair. So again, that you, you can't equate those two things when he makes that contrast. So clearly they teach the same thing and have the same general purpose. And so the clear point is being made, regardless of your position on the covering at church, which is that for a woman to have short hair or no covering, and for a man to have long hair and a covering, those against God's order. They go hand in hand. It is something we have to be very careful about. But I know that there are, well, there's a lot of good Christian men who have long hair. And, and again, it's not that they're not good Christian men. But do we want to do, the problem is though, when we start doing something, it starts to break it down, it starts to make it more acceptable. Does anybody know who Guy Timberland is? Yeah, I, I love that guy who sings, not trying to do take Robin anything that he has done in his life, but no, that that's just that I don't think that is is good, and I think it's because it starts to other men say, well, we can do it, why can't I do it? It must be okay, and then you start to process it, and the same thing could be applied to women and things like that. So that would maybe be a, an example. While submission and headship are the focus. That doesn't mean that the outward signs are unimportant. 
we can't just say if we emphasize outward things, we are becoming legalistic. Some would say, well, you're just being legalistic. Well, why is it here? Will we say that about baptism in the Lord's table, which reminds us it teaches of spiritual realities, and say, so, well, we really don't matter if we do those things or not. And, and there are some who actually believe that. I probably not that many, but because uh, left it, it, all that matters is the heart. Well, we know that that there's a line where no, not all that matters is the heart, because Paul has been very careful. Remember in chapter six, was it not? Our temples are body, our, our, our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. It matters quite a bit what your body's doing. So, when someone immediately says, "I don't wear a head covering," or I might have short hair, but I am submissive, and that's the most important thing, then I would say, okay, but, what if your husband feels it is something that you should do? See, now, rubber me slow. Because if you say, well, I'm still not doing it, then you're not quite submissive in your heart as you thought you were, both to God or your husband. So, I'm just saying, stop and consider, if you want to say, well, what's in my heart is really all that matters, okay, fine, but be honest about what's in your heart. I won't make it an issue. I have no intention of making this an issue in the church, but if the reality is that you wouldn't wear one if he asked you to, or regardless of what the Bible says, then your argument fails and you are not in a good situation. And I think that a lot of the time we will see that what is really, that's what's really going on. Why aren't we concerned with being masculine and feminine and being clear about God's order? Why is it that what others say, might say, or what is fashionable plays uh, into how we feel about something or how, or how we dress or what we do? Well, I'm not, I'm not an idiot. I know what it's like to be embarrassed to look different. At the end of the day, a Christian can't worry about that stuff when it comes to obeying God's word. We need to at least be very clear about that. Or we've lost the battle. And so in verse 7, we see that these physical signs have extremely important purposes. They teach us who we are as men and women. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But a woman is the glory of man. And by the way, later on when it says that long hair is her glory, uh, it, 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 your long, a woman's long hair is not her husband's glory. And we'll deal with that a little bit more next week, but it's her glory. So keep that in mind. Verse 8, for man was not made from a woman, but woman from man. Now we're, this is, we're going to finish with this, and this is an extremely interesting, uh, Example that Paul uses in creation. But, uh, again, I, I think that we see these are very important. They teach us who we are as men and women. Am I going too far in saying that our culture has completely confused us? Am I not right in at least saying that when we ignore this or when we get this wrong, we contribute to the problem? And the church probably has contributed much to the problem that we're finding today because of our silence and our compromise. Is Paul not saying that to participate in these things 
while ignoring the proper symbols is a problem in verse 6? And I'm willing to say as well that this verse isn't just concerned with the sign, but he is saying that if you aren't going to play the role of a woman at home, then she can't in the church and vice versa. In other words, it, it's, it's, it's conflicting messages. Is he not saying that it is enough, not enough to say that in my heart I am submissive, no matter how, whether, no matter what I do outside? For a man to have his head covered as long as his hair uh, or long hair was disgraceful because it was a sign of submission which confused God's order. That's the point. We don't want to appear in a way that is confusing God's role. Can a man say that I that I like this hat and I'm going to wear it at church? So don't worry, I'm uh, basically the head of my home. Well, maybe, but you're uh, confusing us at church. Certainly, you're and you're disobeying the Lord anyway. So for me to get up here, even with long hair, would be disgraceful, and the short hair on women then would be equally so. And so, while I have a stance on the head covering, I think I've made it pretty clear, I have even a stronger stance on long hair and short hair on women and men. Because that's a universal thing. That applies inside and outside the church and everywhere else. That's something the world sees. And not just the hair. I don't want to say this is all about hair, like and head covering. The way then I dress, the way I conduct myself, is a message to the world that it is supposed to be of what a man is. Now, again, we all play that role, some more effectively than others. Women the same. But that is what the world sees. We are being an example to them. Not just, again, in, in the how we wear our hair, but everything else. That's why all this is so important. And so let's close here in verses 8 and 9 where he refers to Genesis as the obvious proof of this order. So let's consider something a little off topic. I mean, it's not, it's not off topic. He, he says it here, but um, it, 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 it makes us stop and think about some of this. He says here that man did not come from woman, but woman from man. And I want us to consider the implications for a little bit here. Because you know, we know that in a sense that God created Adam. Uh, he fashioned Eve out of one of Adam's ribs. But Paul is saying here, this is, there's a lot, there's a lot here to think about. This cannot be said of animals. For instance, the, it answers the age old question, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Now, I can understand the evolutionist uh, asking that question, but in reality, that's not really, that's not even a serious question. Because the Bible makes it very clear. The chicken came first. Right? I hope you understand that. Um, God created animals to bring forth after its kind. How could two sexes develop from something since both were needed to produce themselves? That is what the evolutionist, of course, refuses to deal with, that evolution on many fronts, but certainly that fails miserably because you can't have a chicken. It's easy to say, well, a chicken evolved from this, the lower life form to another life form. Wait just a minute. You can't, no, a chicken, what is a chicken? 
you've got to have a male chicken and a female chicken evolving at the same time and blah, 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 blah. And it all falls flat on its face almost immediately. Darwin wrote the origin of the species, not the origin of life, because in a, in a sense that's two different things. The first man, so Paul is saying, didn't come from a female. The first man obviously didn't come from a male and a female. Had to start somehow. The first female came from a man, which is completely, it completely undermines evolution. It means that God had to create a male first, and then from him he created a female. It's completely unnatural in the sense of what we have today, where it takes a man and a woman, male, female, to produce another uh, human being. It had to start somewhere, and this is how it started. And Paul is saying that how God did it wasn't just haphazard. There's a purpose behind it. Humans could not have come from lower species. They were created fully formed and completely. And so this is huge in the area of science and how we understand ourselves. And we see that God made man first because that is male, uh, Adam first, because he was to have the position of headship. And the woman came next from man because she was given to man to help him in uh, what God had called him to do. And so together they uh, carry out that mission. But Paul's saying there's a, the order is purposeful. And it comes into play in, in, with the subject that he's talking about. It also lets us know that Jesus and Paul sees Genesis 1 and 2 as literal and uh, took it at face value. Also, this order of headship and submission isn't based on the fall, but we were created like this before the fall. So there are those who say, well, men became leaders and women had to submit because of sin. Nope. Because God set up this order before the fall. Chapter 2. We were created for each other. We need each other. Even in this, in, this, in a sinless world, it still was how it would have been. Our fallen nature has made it, of course, as everything else. God, all God's God's gifts, all of God's good gifts, our sinful nature makes it difficult to experience it in any good way and uh, we're always wanting to fight against God's will. But that doesn't mean it's not a good thing. We're just about that yourself. I know that. We talked about this verse last week. There the uh, many who uh, like to use this verse as uh, to make Paul contradict himself. Either Jew or Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, there is no promise. Again, good, proper, logical, biblical hermeneutics would look at that and say, well, Paul can't be negating what he just said, that women are in a subservient role, so they're there is such a thing as male and female. That should be obvious, but there are those who try to read this verse and deny all this. But let's just notice the context here. <clears throat> I think Albert Barnes, uh, an older uh, commentator that I like, uh, said it well. There is neither Jew nor Greek. What does that mean? All are on a level. All are 
saved in the same way, all are entitled to the same privileges, that is, Christians are talking about. There is no favoritism on account of birth, beauty, or blood. All confess that they are sinners. All are saved by the merits of the same Savior. All are admitted to the same privileges as children of God. The word Greek here is used to know the Gentiles generally. Since the whole world was divided by the Jews and the Jews and Greeks, the Greek was the prevailing culture. So you've heard of Hellenism, that just merely means Greek culture. So with the Jews, you had some, some were called Orthodox Jews, and those are those who tried to adhere very closely to the old covenant laws. Then you had Hellenistic Jews, and those are Jews who uh, basically had bought into the culture around them and were living like the Gentiles. But that word in Greek was used to universally talk about all those who were Jews, were Jews, right? That's what it's saying. The, the Greeks being the foreign nation best known to this. The meaning is that whatever was the birth or rank or nation or color or complexion, all under the gospel were on a level or on the same level. They were admitted to the same privileges and endowed with the same hope of eternal life. And he finishes, this does not mean that all the civil distinctions among people are to be disregarded. That should be obvious, but when you're railing against God's word, logic and obvious don't mean anything. Which again, we see this all around us. They are assuming that becoming a Christian just makes us all equal, and all such distinctions are no longer needed because they were a result of the fall to start with. But our maleness and our femaleness and our headship and our submission were established in Genesis 2, not Genesis 3, and we certainly don't stop being men and women. So these distinctions are still there in reality, but in Christ it doesn't matter. Christ doesn't love me more than a woman. You know, I could argue that probably a lot of women Christ loves more than me, but, but I, I think, again, the point of the verse is that Christ loves us all equally. He saved us all equally, thank goodness. Or some of us would be in a lot of trouble, myself included. No, we're still men. We're still women. We still have roles. We still function in those roles. But in Christ, thank goodness, today is coming when they won't matter as much. I don't know. I assume there'll be some sort of distinctions in heaven along those lines, but it doesn't really much matter. All I know is that I am loved equally by Christ. Fully. Through Christ, that becoming a Christian makes it possible for us to get the roles that we have been given right. That should be our goal. I want to live in a way that expresses my understanding of submission or my understanding of headship, that we do so and not worry what the world thinks or what other Christians think about me. Okay, now keep it in mind that we still have one more week to deal with some of these things. Are there any questions anybody wanted to ask?